where does the uh, cancer origin from, but uh, what does the cancer express on the cancer cells at that specific stage? And this is the beauty of it in a way. Hi and welcome to a new episode of the Terragnostic Talks podcast. My name is Costa Vida and together with me in the studio, the fantastic Annette Andrian. Welcome, Annette. Thank you so much, Costa. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Fine. Good. Very excited today. Yes, we have a new guest. Who is the guest yes. today? Laura Ravazzi, this fantastic, charming lady with real-world experience from the nuclear medicine part and also from both AAA and TLX. Yes, she's been in the teragnostic field for many years. Uh, looking forward for this talk. Yeah, so take it away. With a background as a nuclear medicine physician and after a career as a senior medical advisor at AAA, Laura Ravassi is now Head of Global Medical Affairs at Telex Pharmaceuticals, and it's obvious that she's passionate about theragnostics. Laura Ravassi is always on the go, eager to find out more about the challenges and possibilities of tomorrow. Very welcome, Laura Ravazzi. <laughs> so good to have you in the pod now. And... Um, I mean, you are originally from Italy, you live in, in France, work in Belgium, and you now have a very new uh, office in Geneva. In fact, we have no clue where you are today. Well, today I am in Belgium because I just attended the PROSCA meeting uh, and that occurred in Ghent. So I'm in Belgium right now uh, in a hotel room before I go back to my place. And it's true that my family lives in France and I actually lived with them till uh, 2016. And then for working reasons, I moved to Geneva. So. I also have a flat in Geneva where I am located most of times to work. Although some of my customers are outside Geneva, therefore I travel pretty much uh, all over Europe, I would say. So um, you never know where I am and uh, you're not the only one. Sometimes my husband also asks me where I am, so <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> the most important thing is that you are here. I am here yes. and I always try to connect to uh, what I really uh, feel is important. So when uh, <clears throat> you can connect virtually, then it's okay to be wherever. And when you have to be in front of customers, I don't mind taking the time or the energy to actually go and visit them because it makes such a difference when you want to convey a message in which you believe. You have a background as a nuclear medicine physician. I have been working in the industry for many years. Uh, and you have a background as senior medical advisor at AAA. And now you are head of global medical affairs at TLX Pharmaceutical. A great and incomparable experience. And we will talk a lot more about what you think lies ahead within the field of terragnostics. But first, why this passion for terragnostics? Well, it all started um, about 25 years ago when I was uh, a, a resident in, in med school and I had to choose 
what to um, to go for as far as residency and uh, i was actually attending the milano university and so I was interested in brain at that time, and um, I didn't know whether I wanted to go for neurosurgery or neuroradiology or neurology. I, I wanted neuro something. And all of a sudden, there is uh, some people from um, uh, radiology who say, oh, we have a visiting professor from the United States, and uh, he's actually here now. So how about if we invite him to give us a talk on his recent experience? And that person actually um, was a pioneer in uh, PET, in positron emission tomography. And uh, she gave us a, a super nice speech. And uh, the person I'm talking about is Joanna Fowler. And I thought, wow, that is amazing. So what is this thing about positron emission tomography? And she showed us an FDG on her own brain. And I thought it was fascinating to actually see what was going inside the brain uh, without being invasive, because obviously neurosurgery and uh, neuroradiology and stuff like that, um, well, you cannot say it's not invasive. So I started getting interested in this. and. Um, and she is a sweetheart and we became friends. And then uh, she actually told me about how to better understand the biodistribution of these tracers. And it was very, actually the only tracer we kind of knew something about was the FDG, but it was back at the time, uh, still a very low resolution. It was not exactly the machines we have the chance to have today. So. Um, the image was very blurred and uh, it was really not a nice image, but it was so fascinating still already that um, I got, I guess I just fell in love with this thing about seeing what was going, going gone inside a body from outside, it, it, almost like a big movie because in addition to this, it was not only the picture that you could see, but also how it became a picture. So I would really see from the injection time to the construction of the image, all the pattern of this biodistribution. So I started getting very interested into this. And um, I honestly never knew anything about nuclear medicine. So I didn't even think it was a specialty. Then I started considering it. In Italy, it was so-so. So I then went to, to the United States. I actually applied for a grant to, travel, to work for the National Institute of Health in the pet department in Bethesda. And there I got, uh, wow, I really fell in love with all the tracer kinetics. Uh, then it was within the brain and outside, because obviously even in the kidney, I mean, everything is fascinating in the body because the body is such a complex machine that you can actually fall in love with any kind of organism that will um, understand that it has to metabolize what you have injected. And this is all about uh, understanding the behavior of what you inject in our body. Now, if you actually inject something that is labeled with a radioisotope, you can follow it. So that is the beauty of it. And that became Fantastic. Um, the beginning of what I got interested in uh, with uh, lots of radiochemists who actually wanted to better understand how to do specific tracers. And uh, after you have understood that you can reach a certain target and you are able to identify this target, well, if this is a target that you want to get rid of, you can just switch the radioisotope that you are using to label it to C into something that is going to give more energy, therefore basically uh, changing the energy that stabilizes the DNA 
therefore uh, sending this cell to apoptosis and uh, that's how you would eventually get rid of a cell and that is what is applied in uh, theragnostics. And so that's a long story to say that uh, it's a beautiful mechanism that was um, identified by a lot of people who actually worked together into a better understanding how the physiology of our body works and into a non-invasive way. Hmm. Yeah, it's a very nice story. Thank you so much, Laura. And this is history. And I mean, looking at, uh, um, in addition to better imaging, what would you say during the years has been the most um, important evolution within this field? I think uh, the one that was uh, a major uh, change was the fact that uh, AAA believed in, so advanced accelerator applications believed in how to make a nuclear medicine tracer become a therapy, basically. So instead of using a nuclear medicine uh, um, tracer as a diagnostic tool that had always been already accepted, they dared making it a therapy by, um, I would say, changing uh, the, the spectrum of what you can use to treat a patient. Because uh, patients can be treated in general by surgery, by um, radiations from external beam, and uh, by chemotherapy. And all of a sudden, there was this new way of getting into a body and with a mechanism that was going to deal with the disease from very close. And uh, that was uh, a nice vision, a very nice vision from uh, Stefano Buono and uh, obviously all the people who um, believed in what uh, he was saying. And uh, through his uh, entrepreneurship and he actually um, had nice relationships with people who were good chemists and good doctors and it made it possible to create a trial that was a pivotal trial and it was natural one to uh, uh, try to see if it was actually uh, indeed a hypothesis that was uh, feasible. And this, this trial, uh, well, had very good results enough so as to uh, register the product to the FDA and to the EMA. It's a drug to cure uh, neuroendocrine tumors that originate from the uh, gastroenteropancreatic um, uh, site. And uh, it has uh, the possibility of uh, treating the disease um, from very close by because you actually do inject uh, this tracer that goes to the somatostatin receptors uh, directly through the blood vessels of the patient and it is labeled with lutetium 177 therefore the energy of the lutetium is delivered very close to the cells that need to remain either stable or at least not to proliferate anymore or to be destroyed. And this is the beauty of it. So it has very nice um, selection. Therefore, it has 
little side effects because it does not target what does not express somatostatin receptors. And it really um, targets specifically the cells that you need to get rid of. Hmm. And yes, that was, uh, even more fantastic, I must say. And thank you so much for the explanation. And it, it really shows where you have been working the last uh, X number of years, I must say. And uh, But then also, what do we have now on our plate? What is coming up right now, as you see? Well, uh, because this uh, story from uh, AAA has uh, been pretty successful, um, then there has been a big interest uh, in the well in the big farmers on this uh, potential um, therapy with a ligand that goes to a receptor and is labeled with a radioisotope. So you can call it uh, PRRT. You can call it. Uh, um, MTR, you can call it uh, RLT. I mean, people actually have a few names to say basically the same thing. Like the concept is a tracer that targets a, a, a receptor or a mechanism of action and therefore uh, will be specific for such thing. And it is labeled with a radioisotope that can deliver enough energy so as to destroy such mechanism or such cell. Uh, you may actually be aware of the vision trial that actually has uh, been presented uh, at ASCO and the results are uh, pretty nice. Uh, and that is for the disease which is uh, pro related to prostate. So it's prostate cancer patients who are uh, actually in a metastatic state and they are then uh, offered therapies and one of those that was the challenge of, um, of uh, the vision trial was a lutetium labeled PSMA and it is a molecule that is called 617 and uh, this PSMA is a receptor that is expressed in most of cancer prostate cancer cells that are on the metastatics um, um, status. Therefore, again, it is a targeted therapy and uh, it shows that the patients really well receive this uh, therapy. They are happy about it. There is very little side effect. And uh, that actually has proved in a, as a second support of the fact that this is a mechanism that can be used in maybe other therapies as well. So there is a big interest right now in developing um, this kind of methodology, so the theragnostic, um, for uh, to treat pathologies that either are unmet right now, or I mean unmet as far as therapy, or actually already have a standard of care, but maybe can be improved from the compliance point of view or from the quality of life point of view. There is some research in uh, um, in uh, in prostate cancer. Uh, with, with uh, targets that are different from PSMA or with uh, PSMA targets but outside the prostate because actually PSMA is not only expressed in prostate. And then there are other targets that are uh, being um, explored and investigated uh, because this is something that can be actually applied to a lot of um, a lot of oncological diseases. Here, we're not dealing with where does the uh, cancer origin from, but uh, what does the cancer express on the cancer cells at that specific stage? And this is the 
beauty of it in a way because you are really uh, trying to identify the change of the expression of the uh, of the cell uh, receptors through the disease. So sometimes you actually have a modification between the primary cancer, what expresses the primary cancer cells, and uh, the metastasis, for example. Sometimes we see an increase of uh, of density of receptors or sometimes we actually see new receptors or we see the disappearance of some receptors on those cells so that would probably uh, enable us to uh, have more specific cohorts of patients uh, that are making exactly so it's almost like it gets more precise because the uh, people would only receive this therapy that is really likely to suit them, to suit their disease that they are actually bearing at that moment. And we would not be talking about breast cancer in general, but we would be talking about the stage of that breast cancer in that such patient is, um, I don't know, expressing ABC. Therefore, ABC is going to be the suited treatment for that person. And that is how we are getting more precise, every day more precise. Mm Because it's really about tailor-making and timing, as I understand you, and more yeah. and more. It's actually really and- to tailor the, the therapy so that the disease is more likely to be uh, suited for this treatment. Because the point is not to treat uh, the disease with so many side effects that the patient is actually unhappy. But the point is to make the therapy um, stop the disease in a way that makes the patient um, able to have a regular life and bear the disease that he or she is uh, um, having, uh, but with as little side effects as possible so that the life continues and is enjoyable. Mm. And coming then to, you have already been there, and uh, as always, uh, Laura, you are ahead. But uh, next question is really, what do you see for the future? What we have been talking about now is treatment for NET, where you use a peptide as the very specific molecule. Um, We also talk about prostate cancer, and so far with the vision study, we also have a smaller molecule. But what do you see for the future? So uh, there's been, uh, as I was saying, a lot of interest in developing uh, either similar ideas or ideas that can actually uh, need to be also tried and why not working better or less less well. We don't know yet because actually it's all about trying. So there's a big interest in um, substituting the uh, small molecules or small peptides Uh, by uh, antibodies. And there's uh, a lot of uh, uh, interest in these antibodies. It would actually have some advantages and sometimes it actually is worth trying to see if it makes more sense. The advantage um, for if the target is similar is the biodistribution of this uh, antibody. And uh, sometimes the point is not to reach and leave, but to reach and stay. So it can actually have an advantage if the antibody has a a biodistribution that takes a longer time so as to reach the target because it actually stays close to the target 
longer. Therefore, if you think about a therapeutic option, then it means that it will deliver more energy. And that would actually be a probable advantage. Uh, at the same time, uh, you also want to balance this with how the antibody will actually get, uh, how the body will get rid of this antibody. Therefore, you have to compensate the side effects. So it's all a balance of you want to do good, but you want to really be specific. And by reaching the target, you have to go through other targets, obviously, and our body uh, has very, well, very few entrances, I would say. So if you use the bloodstream, then uh, does it make more sense to use the arterial or the venous blood? Does it make more sense to actually not go through the systemic uh, distribution, but how about something that is a local in injection. So it actually, uh, all of these paradigms, paradigms have to be taken into consideration. Uh, there's an interest, uh, for example, in uh, using, um, and that's not for prostate, but that's for um, glioblastoma, in using uh, injections that would actually be intrathecal because that would actually avoid uh, a lot of uh, peripheral side effects. However, uh, we are in a moment where a lot of things are um, being discovered and we have to take into account that we will make mistakes as everybody does and we are trying to understand the how to become better at uh, treating diseases so as to avoid that those diseases prevent us from enjoying our life. So uh, it's a question of better understanding, better uh, taking into consideration, looking around, not only understanding that we can do something through nuclear medicine, but also through combinations, because the treatments that uh, have been uh, known for the past years, well, are not uh, I'm not saying that they are not working at all. They are actually working and they are working for mm. some amount of people. And it is... And what you're talking about, the combination of uh, like uh, the therapeutic with like immunotherapy or... Exactly. Gene therapy or chemotherapy. Exactly. It's almost like uh, mm. if you think about the disease as uh, a... Um, I don't know, think about a little kid who is basically going to school. Well, he is taught by his teachers, but he's also taught by his friends, by his parents and by his uncles and aunts and relatives. And this is the same thing. I mean, this tumor that we want to treat, well, we don't need to think that the only way to treat it is by going to school and by our teachers. It's actually also going to be by other ways of like getting to this tumor and maybe it's easier if more modalities actually get to the tumor so that you actually prevent side effects because you combine synergetically the efficacy of more of more mechanisms of action so i think um, that's a long answer to say that we need to improve collaboration um, at the comprehension level within colleagues and i'm saying colleagues of very 
different disciplines because it can be the clinicians, it can be the medical oncologists, it can be the nuclear medicine physicians, but also the uh, obviously those who are, as you were saying, uh, doing immuno-oncology or uh, external uh, radiation is also very good. I'm not saying that everything has to change, but we have to take into consideration that probably a lot of diseases used to be treated by only one mean, and now we could go into opening to, well, let's try to treat it with two, three, or more, um, like a cocktail, but so as to uh, decrease the side effects, really for the well-being of these patients, because we can all be patients at the end of the day, and we would all want to be fit and go out and do our, our daily nicely, you know? So that is what I would like to deliver. Yes, and, and so great analogy that you talked about the school that I really liked, Laura. Thank you for sharing that. And, and also the timing, I mean, earlier treatment, as you say, to, to really react early, not to wait for the damage to or the wrong things to be established. Yeah. Actually, we had Anna Wu for some in episode seven, and he, he and she said that medicine is shifting to being more proactive instead of reactive. Uh, and according to her, a revolution of precision health is on its way. I think you agree on that. I totally agree, and it's actually not only on the therapeutic side, but on the prevention, as you said too. So once you are sick, well, you need to treat. But obviously, if you take a simple cold, well, uh, every mom would tell his kid to cover up before going out if it's cold outside, right? Well, if the mom isn't there, then the kid is going to go out and he's going to catch a cold, okay? Now it's no big deal, it's only a cold. But if you think about it, well, if we actually do something to keep fit enough so that we are stronger because our immune system are, are like the, the, the one that's given to us is actually already boosted because we are in good health, because we keep moving, because we actually have a healthy food and we uh, use our body as a nice machine as it is actually, then and uh, we are uh, boosting its potential so that when uh, the the disease starts and when I what I mean by disease is a mutation that eventually uh, proliferates enough so as to become a cancer, well, at that point, our own immune system is able to fight it back when it's already, when it's small, you know, and that's exactly what we do every day. I mean, all of us, I don't want to scare the audience, but all of us have tumors every day, okay? <laughs> but we never see them because we actually have this immune system that is super powerful and actually um, kills the the birth of that okay so every time we have dna uh, cells that are i mean uh, dna mutations that actually occur and we or some impairments in the dna and we actually have a few cells that are going to proliferate and then they are caught by our immune system so that it actually disappears now it's uh when this balance is off, that the proliferation of the tumor is actually growing and our immune system is not um, no more able to actually do something. And that's when we need to boost the immune system so as to help 
and we can either boost our immune system or we can actually help by external weapons as radiotherapy, chemotherapy, and but we we always need to remember that all these therapies that we put from outside are also going to affect our immune system. So the beauty of our body would be to prevent being sick, not to become sick and then get cured. I mean, it's very hard, Laura, to miss your passion in this field. Uh, <laughs> you have to be totally numb or deaf. But um, I mean, how do you see, in what way is this an asset for you when you have so many things going on? Well, uh, I have to say that I didn't think uh, that would have ever been given to me, this possibility of uh, doing uh of working uh, into something that passionates me that much. I have to say that when I was a resident, what I was actually telling you uh, 20, 25 years ago, I actually uh, was um, treating some patients from uh, the United States who were coming to Yale. I was at the Institute of uh, European Institute of Oncology in Milano at that time. And um, uh, they were actually coming because there was in the United States no way of getting treated for their neuroendocrine tumor disease. And they were coming and they were getting treated uh, at their own expenses. Uh, so not only were they sick, but they also had to be able to afford a trip to, to Europe. And plus, um, it's a therapy that is, uh, well, quite long because you actually have to be injected at least four times and in between uh, there is uh, about um, six to eight weeks of uh, delay of interval so those people needed to really uh, have uh, some time away from their house and they most of them didn't know italian so i basically um had the opportunity or the chance i guess to um to speak with quite a few of them and i could really so much feel how sad they were to be so disrupted from their own routine because uh, to get better, they needed to go away from their comfort zone, which was basically staying home with their relatives and so on. And one very nice person told me that what he was most missing was a hamburger. So I don't know how to cook, but at that time I remember I actually went home, got a hamburger and then cooked it and then came back to this guy and gave it to him. And I thought it was like Christmas because he was so happy for, you know, just because I had done this thing. And I thought, this is so sad that patients are already sick and they have to go through this burden to actually go on the other side of the world in a place where nobody talks their language. There is nothing common with what they are used to. And that makes them even more uncomfortable. Plus to get treated with a, a treatment that is super expensive and it is going to irradiate them. Obviously that was quite something, you know, and I was 22, 23 and I thought, wow, it would so be. It would be so nice to actually make this more. Um, I don't know, like more friendly for patients or easier, you know. And uh, so I was really uh, talking to this person because I had had the chance to actually live in Canada, so I knew how to speak English. And so I, I really felt for this person, and he was so alone that I was actually spending a lot of time with him. And he said that, regardless from what well, he had to go through, he was really happy because at least he didn't have all the symptoms because the symptoms of the disease were actually making his life so miserable that he preferred 
going through the burden of coming to Europe and getting treated in a patient, in a zone where nobody spoke English, uh, rather than not be treating and keeping having the symptoms. So I thought, wow, that is a disease that really sucks, basically. And that I didn't know much about it. So I actually started getting uh, to understand better. And um, and then that was just one thing in my mind. And then eventually I went to neuroimaging and so on. And um, then when well, I got married, I had my kids, you know, like I was doing something very different. I was more a, a, a regular me- nuclear medicine physician. And when I say regular, it was more like uh, dealing with diagnostic uh, scans. And all of a sudden, um, well, I got this opportunity of uh, um, uh, being I'm gonna I attracted again by uh, the results of the Netra One trial, and I thought, well, at first I didn't know that there were the results, and I just thought, wow, uh, that is something that reminds me of that person, and I thought it was almost giving the opportunity to give back from what I had been given by uh, the people who actually um, made sure that I could uh, go through my studies and everything. Because I think in life, you have the chance to receive a lot. And at some point, it's time for you to give back. And I thought it was really time for me to render what I had been uh, accumulating in my brain, I guess, <laughs> or through the experiences I got through. And I thought, okay, if um, this can actually apply to worldwide to all the patients who had been uh, suffering as much as this person for which I, for whom I cooked the hamburger, and it can be in a comfort zone, well, I definitely will. And that is that was just a no-brainer for me. I asked my kids, I said, look, I'm probably not going to see you much, but I'm going to do some stuff for a lot of patients out there who are living miserable lives, and I will probably try to make it better for them. And uh and that is my motivation to actually make somebody feel better in a, in a, I would say, better in a side effect way or in a symptomatic way because some diseases are very, are very chronic and uh, you you don't want to be miserable because of your of your disease. You want to try to really remain uh, motivated, and that was uh, the reason for which. I, I work like I work because I really believe in it. I would like everybody to be uh, happier, really, feel better. You have found your spot, Laura, because it's important to identify what you really can do, what you as a person, not only you, but every person, how can you add to do things better? Uh, and also, I mean, I was a little bit curious that first uh, exp- that uh, patient you told about, can you share what disease was it? Yeah, it was a neuroendocrine tumor from from the the, the stomach, basically the, the the intestine. Yeah, and uh, and that person has been uh, treated, and actually after uh, quite a while, uh, then I went to the United States and I gave a call to this person because. Well, because I'm just like that. And uh, uh, he, at first, he didn't remember me. And so I actually told him who I was. And uh, it was quite nice. I never saw him again, but I actually talked to him maybe, I don't know, eight years after uh, that happened. And uh, it was when I was actually... 
already a mom. And I thought that uh, that was something that made me feel very, I don't know, sometimes you feel good about your actions. And that was one of those days. Yes. Hmm. You know, and you were, you, you mentioned your uh, children that you told them you will not be so much with them. But uh, from we, you have three sons and yeah. they are well, that's the side effect. So I travel quite a lot. Sometimes uh, it's not always easy to get things uh, virtually. So the COVID helped a lot because we managed to do many more things uh, far away. However, uh, there are things that you are doing much better when you are present. So I have to admit that I see my kids much less than I used to. But when I see them, I am much happier. So um, overall, I try to combine uh, the, the happier I am, uh, the better quality uh, of time I spend when I am with them. So I think it's harder for the, um, well, the, the youngest one uh, and the other two are already, you know, they are standing on their own. So um, I think it's actually harder for my husband than for my kid, but that's not to mention. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a problem. Okay. Uh... You, <laughs> uh, you said you're in Belgium right now, and uh, what about tomorrow and, and next week? So, uh, well, tomorrow I will actually be home. Unbelievably, I will be home. But uh, then on Sunday, I'm traveling to ICPO, which is a meeting that is actually going to be chaired by uh, Richard Baum. And uh, uh, that is already... Uh, the third year that uh, they gather. And uh, I had the pleasure to be present at the, the first one last year, uh, maybe because of COVID, they didn't do anything. I don't know. I don't remember. But I know that it is something that is very important too. And I know um, Richard Baum uh, has a, an experience that is amazing. And uh, uh, again, uh, I think there are things that you need to uh, do and understand that you are doing well or not well. So he has been uh, sometimes criticized for his actions, uh, but I think it is thanks to pioneers like him that we have learned quite a lot of things. And um, he dared things that uh, very few others did. And uh, that needs to be respected because it's always by learning more that we need we understand where to go next who do you think we should invite to the podcast as our next guest um wow that's a question <laughs> well uh i have to say that um well, maybe I am biased, but I would really like you to uh, to invite uh, Stefano Buono because if there is one person who has inspired me, it's really him. And uh, I keep being inspired by this um, person. And um, I think you should because he will uh, inspire many other people. And inspiration really goes along with motivation once you're inspired you are so well motivated to actually reach and do that's amazing okay the last question go ahead who do you think should receive the nobel prize for their efforts in agnostics um right now i don't think it is a matter of uh 
one person because in fact uh, it's a, a combined effort i mean the treating uh, the treating a cancer with uh, a radio isotope has been going on for years and years uh, because of the thyroid okay so that is a treatment that always has existed however it was not considered theragnostics it was just a mechanism of action and it's a totally different parading because you actually give a, a pill of iodine basically 131 therefore it's a totally different concept however you actually use radiations to kill a cancer now at the same time you you would probably want to um, generalize this concept of you actually do precise medicine because you actually target a specific receptor so that is an idea that is very very interesting but that is not super new basically that is also what uh, the tracer itself does so it i don't think there's a true person who actually deserves a such a price for uh theragnostics i think it needs to be more a the Nobel Prize should be given to all the people who ex who accepted to 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 uh, to make efforts to improve, to discover more, and to make every effort feasible, even authorities wise or politically wise, to uh, reach out to what makes it possible for patients to get the therapy, and to accept that the traditional chemo or the traditional external beam radiation therapy uh, gives a little bit of room to new therapies. So I don't think there's one person who should get the Nobel Prize. I think it's a, an effort that has to be, that is supported by so many people that uh, no one is a leader. Everybody chips in. Hmm. You too, both of you too. <laughs> Let's wait and see. Thank you, Laura, for today. Thank you for this wonderful talk. Thanks to you. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Always a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Janet, that was Laura Ravazzi. She has a true passion for teragnostics. Yes, it's fantastic to listen to her. And uh, she's and also brave. What? She's brave, and it was uh, fantastic to listen to her personal story about this patient that had traveled to Europe to get this treatment, uh, I think, 20 or 25 years ago. And, and she followed this patient and, and uh, yeah. started and there in yeah. believing in this, in this type of treatments. Yeah. And uh, it all started with a hamburger. That's typical also. <laughs> yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Everything starts with a hamburger. Uh, okay, Annette, ready so, for today. Ready for today. Uh, and how do you reach us? How can you reach us? You can send an email every day. Podcast okay. at samnordic.se, podcast at samnordic.se. Visit the link there side or web page. Uh, yeah and uh that's just uh, i mean stay safe stay, stay tuned. tuned bye 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 <laughs>